My God, what's Bond doing? I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. From Russia with Love, coming up next. Haven't Seen It with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenet. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today, this is Tommy's first time watching the classic Bond from Russia with Love. Tommy, how did you like my uh, my cold open, a.k.a. we just sat here for 20 minutes trying to figure out something? And I was just <laughs> like, I'm going to pull the, the funniest clip in a Bond movie from Moonraker. So, that was... Yeah, for Moonraker right there. So I've never seen Moonraker either. And I feel like just based off that one clip alone, I would have loved Moonraker a lot more than I love from Russia of Love. So uh, Brandon Lee wasn't a big fan of Russia of Love. <laughs> I, I think when we do, because we're going to cover more Bond movies, because I'm myself, I've seen probably, I want to, I've seen all the Craig, I've seen three out of four of the Rosnan, no Daltons, no, and not the Lazenby one, but I've heard the Lazenby one's fantastic. Um, I've seen four Connery and three more Roger Moore. So, like, I think you would like the Roger Moore ones a lot. But, yeah, I'm a bit of a Bond aficionado. This was definitely yeah. my pick after Tommy just slogged me through the mud <laughs> in Halloween with horror. Just nonstop yeah. horror. I get to be like, Tommy, we're going on a little fantastical adventure with my good pal James Bond. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't say I'm as big of a Bond fan. Uh, I mean, I've seen all the Craig ones, and the only Connery ones I've seen are, well, now this one from Russia of Love, and then I've seen Dr. No and Goldfinger, and I've seen Goldeneye, and that's the only other one I've seen. So, I mean, like, it's never been a franchise that really has been big for me. I think probably because when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with Austin Powers, and Austin Powers just ruined the Bond franchise for me, I guess. <laughs> like, I don't think the first, I think the first James Bond movie I ever saw in my life was Casino Royale. So I'm just putting that, that out there. Casino Royale very much feels like a response to Austin Powers in terms yeah. of like the entire tonal shift from like like the Craig movies almost stand apart from all the other ones that have come out. Mm-hmm. And that's why I probably like them so much more than the other Bond movies I've seen. <laughs> well, they feel they feel very contemporary where all the bond, all the Bonds before that definitely feel dated. I mm-hmm. don't care that they feel dated. I think that's mostly their charm. Mm-hmm. But we'll obviously dive de- deep into that. You didn't. You didn't even like Goldfinger, man. Like Goldfinger is so good. I I thought it was all right, but I don't know. Just in terms of like pacing and just like direction, the direction falls flat for me in that movie. And just like I don't know, I, I wasn't really a big fan of the action. From what I remember, well, Granted, I mean, this is a... the action in any of these early ones is not going to uh, knock your socks off, Tommy. Let's be exactly. Let's be yeah. honest here. Yeah, I mean, I, I maybe I'm just expecting more than like maybe I'm expecting like you know I'm looking at this from like a 2022 eyes where I'm just like, oh, come on, like you could have something like, but it just dynamic wise, it just a lot of the Bond movies, just especially the early ones, feel a little bit like a slog for me. So sorry if you love them, but I don't know, they're not for me. I, I'm realizing. <laughs> maybe I'll change your mind over the course of this podcast. This is from Russia with love. In front, 
all over the place. Thunderball, and from Russia with love. So yeah, I understand that wasn't strictly a From Russia with Love TV spot, but I don't think the audience really understands how difficult it is to find yeah. a From Russia with Love TV spot from like 1963. They just don't. They if they existed, they're very rare to come by. And all yeah, they're just not on YouTube. <laughs> we're not covering Thunderball. Maybe a future one will cover. You know, did you see? Um, uh, of course you did. Um, what's the Edgar Wright Last Night in Soho? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, Yeah. like when she enters the dream world for the first time, that's what's playing on the on the multiplex or the at the cinema there is Mm. is, you know, James Bond and Thunderball. That's actually the the one I haven't seen of the one of the ones I haven't seen of the Conneries saw Diamonds are forever, but I haven't seen Thunderball. I mean, I, I love the theme song for Thunderball. Tom Jones is the shit. So, I mean, like, that's was Thunderball the first one where, like, they were really, like, let's get a pop singer to, like, Goldfinger the... is Goldfinger. Okay. Goldfinger. Um, yeah. Because this one at least had the theme music. I don't remember if the theme music was in Dr. No. It was. Um, I just rewatched Dr. No for the first time last week. That's what made me think of this. I was just using my fire stick and I was like, Wait a minute! Every James Bond movie's on Prime, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Yeah, every well, James Bond movie's on Prime." Let's go! So I, st- I started at the beginning. Let's do some from Russia with love talk, because we should probably do that since this is the movie we are covering. I'm sure we're not going to exclusively stick to from Russia with love. Uh, James Bond willingly falls into a, an assassination plot involving an, a naive Russian beauty in order to retrieve a Soviet encryption device that will be stolen by Spectre. So you just didn't like it. Well, tell me what you didn't <laughs> like about the movie. I, I just wasn't really engrossed in it. I just like the... Uh, with, I, I feel like I, I do have sometimes a little bit of a problem with older movies, but um, you know I still do can appreciate like some older classics and stuff like that, but for a reason in this movie, the direction just fell flat. Like the plot, I was just didn't really care that much. And just like it just kind of felt like a bore that bore. And it kind of felt like watching like, you know, a TV movie or something like that in aspects for me. So I kind of just checked out when I watched this, if I'm being honest. <laughs> That's interesting, Tommy. So let me tell you this. I'm looking right now at Rotten Tomatoes, all 27 James Bond movie ranked by tomato meter, which is obviously a very flawed scale. Where do you think From Russia with Love is on this list? Oh, probably like top five, if I had to guess. <laughs> it's n- it's number two. And what do you think yeah. number one is? Probably uh, Goldfinger. It it is Goldfinger. Yeah. Now I I don't think that's my I I would put Goldfinger top five. My personal favorite is Skyfall. I just think that's like the epitome of what you can do with a Bond story in terms of like making it personal, having like a really iconic villain. And using like contemporary data as like the main threat because that was mm-hmm. all about information. And I really, really love Skyfall. Casino Royale is also top five. Um, I would I would argue that Connery and Craig have had out of all the bonds have had probably the the best scripts to go off of. Mm-hmm. Because I think with From Russia with Love, there's a style and pace difference that was just much more commonplace at the time. Feel like with From Russia with Love, there's a it's a it's tight. It's a really tight script. And I think 
it's like a great example of especially think about it as the second time you're seeing James Bond on a on a screen you saw on the in Dr. No with the with um what was her name honey pie or whatever her name was yeah um you know him being protective of her but this is the first time that we see with Bond oh he starts falling in love with the Russian agent that's supposed to be trapping him basically like they get the orders to come into to to get this machine from Istanbul and uh, M and Bond are like yeah this is obviously a trap but he starts to fall for her more and more become more and more protective of her which I found to be an interesting like when you think about it in the context of this being the second Bond film you kind of see a very selfish lane to man which you would have to be to be a secret agent man like uh, 007 is <laughs> but it's it's interesting to see a little more into Bond's character which I would maybe even argue they don't really fully get into until the Craig stuff. Well, yeah, I I think that in general, this was a better movie than Dr. No. Um, Dr. No, I told you before we started recording, I just, I remember watching this with a friend and we were all amped up to watch a James Bond movie. Never watched a Sean Connery before. And I was bored out of my goddamn mind. I just did not like it. I just, you know, I appreciate it for what it was and I appreciate, you know, the cultural context of it. Obviously, um, even with this movie, I, I can't like, you know, deny that, but, for whatever reason, these movies just don't work for me. Um, and not until maybe I'd probably appreciate the Roger Moore era more, where like you know, where it seems more goofy or just they're definitely more, more into, goofy. Yeah, and more gets into like the absurdity of the premise and stuff like that. Because for whatever reason, I mean, like Timothy Dalton, I love Golden Eye, but that's this, Bros. That's Brosnan. That's Bros. Well, sorry, yeah, I mix them up my bonds, but it's just in general with this one. I mean, like. I don't know. The chemistry was definitely there between him and what's love interest name again. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, the <laughs> love interest is Tatiana Roma- Romanova. She she was good and stuff like that, but it was just generally like it would seem like just her character was just immediately from the start like, oh, I love you, James Bond. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And there wasn't really any character there except for just like, that's it. <laughs> it seemed like for me. No, and like the Bond girls are very um, hit or miss. Like, mm-hmm. I would say Dr. No and then Goldfinger, like, have the two strongest um, Bond girls, or two of the stronger, especially from the early eras, where you see a lot more behavior from Bond that would not fly in a contemporary uh, Bond film. Well, yeah, even in this one, he, he fucking hits her around and shit like that. So, I mean, there's one thing that, like, I've noticed when I've been watching in some older movies. In this movie, Tatiana, she's... Uh, Played by um, what's her name? Uh, Daniela D- Bianca. Diana Bianca. But she's her voice is dubbed over by Barbara Jefford, and like for whatever reason, dubbing just almost never works for me. Especially when in a movie like this, where you have Sean Connery's real voice, you have everyone else's real voice, and just when you have a character's voice that very clearly just isn't really syncing up, or doesn't really feel it just doesn't work as much for me. It takes me out of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I tend to give it a lot more leeway in like a 1963 James Bond movie because it's just like, that's just what it is. And like, from what I understand of like the production team, the broccoli uh, production team that, you know, has famously been running the bond, like that family's been running bond for 60 years. That's just what they do. Eon productions. Mm. They're very meticulous about the details of their films. And to me, I think that's almost the biggest strength of bond movies. And 
I view Dr. No and from Russia with love as like the two building blocks of mm-hmm. that led to Goldfinger, which led to like the real winning formula. Mm-hmm. You can see it like it's slowly started coming out here. And well, especially, uh, yeah, I, I think Dr. No did the locations and the sets better than this one did. And like this one is kind of stuck on its location it's in Istanbul, like underground in layers. Like it doesn't really go anywhere fantastical. Mm. But Dr. No, when you go into Dr. No's lair, right? Like they're in the radiation field. They go through this whole chamber, which has been, which if you've never seen Dr. No, but you've seen the Austin Powers uh, waking up from the carbon freeze and he's where he's peeing for, for, you know, two minutes, that gag. That's where it comes from. Like the wa- the wash off on the mm. bond. And then they're in this crazy hotel room with like a full complex and they go up to Dr. No's like uh conference room or, you know, d- dinner room, whatever. And it's, it's this like, it's crazy built into the cave with all the, with like the fish aquarium, like the actual aquarium glass, like built mm-hmm. into the layer. They really nailed that on the head in the first shot. I think that that, I think that this is like my problem probably with Dr. No is that, or not Dr. No, uh, for Mushroom of Love, that it just felt very static to me in a lot of ways um, in terms of like the set and locations where a lot of it was just mm-hmm. people talking, talking in uninteresting rooms and just like nothing really visually standing out there. And just like, it kind of lost me a little bit where it just was a little more dialogue heavy than I would have wanted out of like a movie like this. And and, and I would agree, agree with you on that in terms of like the, the static nature of from Russia with love, like really the only cool thing is when they go down into like the catacombs of Istanbul to spy on the Russian embassy mm-hmm. and they take this boat and then they have like the, the submarine or telescope. That's pretty cool. Like that was a cool little gadget that they had there. But um, I think the other thing that, you know, Dr. No's like kind of convincing, but he's fairly goofy. Like he's got these black hands. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know what you remember of Dr. No, but the end is not like much. They're, <laughs> they're doing like a, a missile launch. Right. And, you know, Bond saves a day and they're in these early 1960s radiation rooms. And like, that's the bond that had the lowest budget because it was basically viewed as a B movie. Uh, Dr. Yeah. No, when it came out. And like the sets look so like this, the set of the nuclear reactor room, like it looks so like B B movie, 1950s. Like it's, it's great in that respect. I think in this one, they built up more of the, like the menace of the villains and like the cunning of the villains. Like I think Robert Shaw as Grant, like he's, he is fantastic in this movie. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to like spend this whole podcast being a negative Nancy, just shit on this movie. Uh, I do have to admit, Robert Shaw I thought was really great. Uh, but one thing I have to point out, so this was like what, 1963? Yeah. And, Jaw- and Jaws was what, 1975? Mm, yeah. That motherfucker aged so poorly in, in like in the course of 12 years. <laughs> well, that's because he drank quite a bit like, Quint, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in that yeah. time span. Because I think he died like two or three years after Jaws because he was mm-hmm. just a drunk. <laughs> I love the scene on the train when he finally traps bond and he kind of unveils the plan that it's that it's specter that it's a uh, blowfelt that's uh, kind of running this evil syndicate you can hear the cold calculated menace in his voice we were keeping you alive until you could get us the lector so you had me delivered on a plate that's brilliant go on i'm fascinated now that we've got it you and the girl are expendable 
girl. Isn't she working for Spectre, too? No. She thinks she's doing it all for Mother Russia. She takes her orders from Colonel Kleb. Rosa Klebs, Russian. Head of operations for Smash. Was. Kleb works for Spectre now. The girl doesn't know that. Well, then why kill her? Orders. That's only half of it, old man. Here's a roll of film. She'll have this in her handbag. And on you, I'll find this letter. It's from her, threatening to give the film to the press unless you marry her for helping you get the lecture. What film? Taken in the bridal suite at your hotel. Something else the girl didn't know about. So would you. <laughs> Must be a pretty sick collection of minds to dream up a plan like that. Basically, in that scene, like right there, I, I thought that that was where the movie kind of gripped me. I think it's probably my favorite part of the movie of just like, you know, we knew as the audience, we knew that it wasn't really, uh, was it Nash or whatever he was supposed to impersonate right there? Yes. And it, yeah, we knew it wasn't him. Yeah. And at first, like when he slipped that like little drink into uh, Tatiana, I thought that like it was like, oh, are they just going to kill off the Bond girl right here? Is this how it happens? But um, it just really felt a cool little action set piece where like, it was just very enclosed, very tight quarters right there with Bond and Bond just like really like he could have easily killed Bond. I mean, that's the stereotype of all these movies, but he's, he had a monologue. That's, that's <laughs> any movie with. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't I can't give it too much shit, but still, it was uh, still fun. we in that little sense on the train where um, I thought that was a really cool set piece right there. <laughs> yeah, I, the train is definitely, I think, the high mark of the scene. Like, like, I, I would say the part where the movie lost me is like that gypsy dance scene like where they go to that yeah. gypsy party with uh karen bay p- played by pedro armandaris who i i didn't know before this but uh he he rocked the socks off of like the guy that james just becomes james's buddy in this location of the world like that that's his character i thought he was pretty awesome in in that role but like they're at this gypsy party and then they're attacked by the soviets and that only happened so that uh robert shaw could be like i protected you i made sure you didn't die at that party like that was the only reason that that party scene existed it felt very very uh out of uh not not of the movie it's a very random set piece and like uh i mean is how many times have you seen this now like a few times um, I think this might be my third time. I remember watching a lot of Bond when I was young, but like it definitely didn't process them. Probably why I just have like an yeah. affinity to Bond. Well, uh, so that's the one thing I'm wondering if, like, you know, if we rewatch this, I don't really remember seeing Robert Shaw um, in that he's, scene. He's at all. there. He's there. He's like he's got like a pistol with a silencer, and he's just in one mm-hmm. of like the mirage, like the mirages, because like he's following the Russian, you know, the Soviet. Uh, troops or whatever that were going to storm this mm. party for whatever reason because that's what Soviets do in Istanbul in 1963. Tommy, you didn't know that? No, uh, no, no, apparently not. One of the things that's fun- funny about the uh, looking up like the history of this movie was apparently, um, according to Wikipedia, one of the reasons why this movie was fast tracked and this was chosen as the next Bond movie because this wasn't chronological as the next Bond novel was uh, JFK himself said that this that from Russia of Love was one of his like 
top 10 novels of all time in an interview with Life Magazine, I think in like 62 or something. So the producers saw that and were like, okay, well, we know what we're going to do next then. <laughs> and um, this was also apparently the last movie that Kennedy saw before he went into Dallas. So, you know, fun trivia fact there. <laughs> wow. We're, we're just having a lot of, we, this is our second movie with uh, John F. Kennedy Dallas facts, huh? What was the other one? Uh, what Strange Love? <laughs> yeah, Doctor Strange Love. Like that movie was supposed to come come out like the week after the assassination. Oh yeah, and they I, were I, like, "Yeah, we're pushing it back." Yeah, nope, can't can't do that. Yeah, well, actually, connecting this to Strange Love, uh, the production designer of Doctor No, Ken Adam, uh, did not return for uh, what's it called from Russia of Love, so he could work on Strange Love. So I mean, like you know, right around the same time. Um, and and you, I think you can almost see that because the the like the production design of dr no i would say is superior and maybe it just has to do with like yeah. the settings itself but istanbul is like a pretty romantic place and that you could explore like the little markets that exist the churches like the church like they go into the church to meet there and it, it's kind of unromantic like it didn't feel it didn't feel bond like visually this is probably the least bond that i can think of like in terms exactly of the, which, which is, is where they nail it on the head but in contrast to that from Russia with love, I think nails the plot and like the dialogue and like gives Bond's character a little more room to 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 breathe to learn a little bit yeah, more about him. Yeah, I I think that like uh, overall, yeah, like uh, this is a better movie than Doctor No, but you know, it, you really isn't that much interesting uh, visual things. I think the one thing that really stood out for me visually was in the beginning when he's doing that chess match. And it was just like the giant chessboard and everything. That I thought that that was a little cool. But other than that, I mean, it just, like I said earlier, just felt like, you know, boring drive office locations to boring drive office locations where like, you know, this was an Istanbul. We could have had like more cool exotic locations come out or something like that. And just something visually striking. And we didn't really get this out of this movie. When you could then get to Goldfinger right after this, like that's mm -hmm. where this movie, that movie shines. It's just. Yeah. Awesome location after awesome location. Like, I know you probably don't remember a lot about Goldfinger. But like when they're at uh, Goldfinger's uh, like house in, in Kentucky, his horse farm, and how he's going to show all the mob guys his plan and like how all the furniture turns into the map of his plan and bombs oh, yeah, underneath, yeah. like looking at the end. Like, that's so cool. Like, that's what you want mm. out of a spy movie. Mm. Um, this one, I think, illustrates a more cohesive plan and introduces like the overarching villains of the Connery ones that come back a little later with in the last two uh, Craig movies because the they had the Craig movies they you kind of had like the finish of the Craig era with Skyfall like they could have ended it there and then they're like well we don't really want to recast Bond yet and we're going to offer Daniel Craig a whole lot of money yeah uh, well, let's, let's bring back Blofeld like what are we going to do you know um might as well so uh connecting this movie to the movie we covered last week uh, I know Donald Pleasant's played Blofeld and I think in like for Majesty's Service or something, one one of the Bond movies. So, <laughs> a little fun little trivia casting right there. But uh, I mean, yeah, the villains over here were fine. I mean, Robert Shaw was memorable, but I mean, like Blofeld. I mean, it's one of those things that like fucking. This is another thing that Austin Powers just ruined. Just the whole menace and like stereotype of Blofeld of like the guy stroking his like a little cat right there. <laughs> I I don't think so. I, I like you say ruin, and I don't like that term in terms of like what austin powers did because i i think austin powers one is like a master satirical film and then mm. uh the spy who shagged me is is really good as well 
I think that it removes the context of what makes these movies great. Like think about like watching this in the height of the cold war and especially where you're not getting the kind of information about current up-to-date world politics that you would be getting nowadays that you can find nowadays. It adds this like fantasticalism, right? Like it's, it's basically like it's a, it's a lucid dream, basically the, like the bond movies, in my opinion. And like that's why the Roger Moore ones still work, even though they're goofy and silly, is that they they're they're all it's it's a fantastical adventure. Just think of it as like the Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, but it's set on Earth and it's a spy that can fly a plane and he can drive a car and he can operate a boat and he can drive a train. Like he could do anything, right? Like he he's just that multifaceted tool. He's got, Bond almost has a little bit of that Indiana Jones in him. Right. Like the, mm-hmm. the big critique of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is a you know masterful film, is that all the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark would happen without Indiana Jones. Uh, it's not yeah. exactly that for Bond, but you could take the Bond away and put another everyman character into it. It's not as effective of a film, but it's James Bond isn't the the driving driver, force. the driving force of all the plots and stuff like that. And frankly, a lot it what makes bond great is how he reacts to the trouble he gets himself into mm-hmm. like when he gets himself tied up and how he works himself out of situations like you like you see it evolve between like dr no like he just sees an exhaust hatch in the prison on the base and he escapes in in dr no he remembers the stuff that's in the briefcase gets the golden keys out robert shaw grant has one of those spy issued briefcases that he sold that M conveniently tells him has the powder in it, right? Like that all the knockout gas all for that's a cigarette. And, and that's what, you know what I mean? And then in, yeah. In Goldfinger, when he's tied up to the laser beam and Goldfinger says the, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Bond uses all he has. And all he has is he understands what a, the name of a mission and tells him like, I've told my superiors that can you really risk killing me without you know, with what I could possibly know, right? Like it's he's it's like an improv artist in the face of like life or death danger. Yeah, yeah. B- Bonds is pretty much just like flying up by the uh, seat of his pants, just constantly, just like, oh, this has happened, this has happened. Oh, Robert Shaw, you're not actually a British guy. I guess I should have known that. Cool. Well, uh, here's my uh, little gas tank. Yeah, here you go. You're out of there. So, I mean, like that's really what it is. A lot of the times, it's just like you know the. Like, oh, Bond's backed into a corner. How's he going to get out of this one this time and stuff like that over and over? So, I mean, like, this movie for Much of Love really helped build up the little bit of tropes. Like, I did like the intro sequence where it was just um, Robert Shaw, what, like, on a training uh, mission. mission to, like, and that you think they're killing Bond, and it's it's just some guy in a training segment on the Spectre base. Yeah. And think about, like, the era that this is following. And, like, uh, think of, like, the. Um... Like the Flash Gordon, like, you know, shorts that, that would come out at that time, like these very simple adventures where mm-hmm. at the end they're going to get caught in a corner. Well, how are they going to get out of it? This one, like that is directly influenced, like the style of these movies and probably even the novels. I haven't read the novels, but to that extent, like it has that kind of pacing to it, like that kind of like we need to always do that, like especially in the earlier Bonds. The action doesn't end, like the action ends and then the movie ends. Yeah. Uh, well, this one, I mean, like I did like the little action set piece in the end of uh, the main 
mastermind behind all of this. I mean, other than Blofeld, what did Ro- Rosa Cl- Rosa Kleb? Rosa Kleb. I, I like the whole like knife shoe thing that she had right there, and like how like immediately that set some stakes. I felt like a more interesting action set piece that the rest of the movie I felt for the most part was kind of lacking. Yeah, this movie doesn't have a ton of action, which I think um, I think almost works in its favor in these, especially in these earlier Bond movies where the action is usually tad clunky they definitely save all their action for the last 20 minutes because you have the train fight then the escape in the car with the helicopter then the boat escape and then like the face-off with rosa Klebb in the in the hotel in venice all of that in sequence and then outside of the gypsy scene there's a whole lot of not no action i guess they they blow up the russian embassy yeah well i mean i I'm not a type that just like needs my movies to be like action, 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 action. But I just didn't find the build up to it and like the, you know, the engrossing like set, set pieces and stuff like that. The direction kind of just fell flat for me in a way that like I just wasn't engrossed with the story and wasn't really locked in and just kind of just felt bored, to be honest, when I was watching this. <laughs> and it wasn't until like the last 20 minutes where it started getting a little bit more interesting with the Robert Shaw scenes and stuff like that on the train. But before that, I just kind of was like, oh, they're just going from one place to another, just talking and talking and talking. And it wasn't visually interesting in a way that it could have engrossed me. I got you. And like, I want to talk about the setup that they have of the shoe with the, the poison venom. Mm-hmm. When Spe- when Spectre's plan fails to re- to kill Bond and retrieve the the MacGuffin, the, mm-hmm. the coding device or whatever, you know, Kleb, Blofeld, and... Um, uh, Kronstein are in the room and it's a very tense moment to see who's going to die and I really wanted to just put Blofeld in there because I I just love his performance three men were found dead on the train at Trieste, one of them was Grant what have you to say in number five it was Gleb's choice her people failed it was your plan, the followed it implicitly impossible it was perfect except for one thing, they were dealing with Bond who is Bond compared with Kronstein? Exactly. What have you to say to that, number three? Bond is still alive and the lector is not yet in our possession. I had already negotiated with the Russians to return it to them. We've agreed a price. Inspector always delivers what it promises. Our whole organization depends on our keeping those promises. I warned you, we do not tolerate failure, number three. You know the penalty. Yes, number one. Our rules are very simple. If you fail... And that's when they kill Kronstein and it's a good fake out, right? Like Kleb thinks she's the one that's going to die pretty mm-hmm. much the entire time. And it's definitely shot that way in classic misdirection, right? But yeah. it's also a good way to show what the shoe is to the audience. So then that way, 15 minutes later, when the shoe appears again, or not even 15, like literally like in the next five minutes, you know exactly what that shoe is and what it can do and how fast it can kill Bond. So it just adds that extra tension. Yeah. To that and I, I, I do love just like the Blofeld voice right there of just like this like almost like very English gentleman kind of reminds me of like Christopher Plummer 
type of voice you know what i mean mm-hmm. or it just adds that kind of just like weird like british menace to it right there and just typical awesome like little stock villain voice right there and just kind of adds to it <laughs> yeah absolutely it's definitely a stock villain voice but i almost think it's like it's it became a stock villain voice right this, well this is a case of like you know a lot of these things are like tropes that i'm like kind of shitting on it originated with this movie so it's just like one of those things that like you know at the time this was really original and really like oh my god like this is crazy and stuff like that but looking back maybe i don't think it plays that well as much fair is fair tommy i can't change your opinions <laughs> i am a star i'm a star i'm a star i'm a star i am a big bright shining star so what uh, we're like near the 30 minute mark of this podcast and we've barely talked about uh the man the myth the legend himself mr sean connery yeah so i think there's only one answer sean connery is the star of this movie obviously uh, uh, obviously let's talk a little bit more about sean connery like what yeah. do you what do you think of his performance as bond because now this is his second iteration of the character like this is the second time anybody's ever seen james bond he, he's very he's very suave in this movie um i almost wish that like there's a little more emotion out of him sometimes in some ways. Cause it's like, I know the whole point of bonds. He's supposed to play very, 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 very cool. But in some ways, in some scenes, he would have wished of him to have show a little bit more, like a little more interesting, I guess. I don't know the, the way to play it. The, the way that they were kind of defined, especially to me as a kid, it's like, all right, Connery's the suave one. Moore's the funny one. Dalton's the stern, serious one. And Brosnan was kind of like took the pieces of all the three main bonds or the ones that had more than one movie, George Lazenby. Yeah. yeah. And kind of meshed them all together. And Craig just hit they're they're like they're they're their own thing, the Craig movies. Like they're completely different yeah. from from these Bond movies. I th- think that like he he's got a, char- a real charm to him. Oh yeah, that it just it's it like electrifies the screen, especially when he's talking with um with with uh, Money Penny. He always does that where he's like flirting with her. He's like, you know, I would take you to Morocco if I had the time. Uh, you know, you've never seen Morocco. Oh, it's beautiful. It's well, like, what... it a nice hotel room, right? Like he just he he has that. Like you could just see why any woman would fall for for James Bond. Well, it is funny. I mean, this is essentially the main character of James Bond, but like throughout this movie, he's just like going from like girl to girl to girl and like everyone just immediately like he could have gotten with money punny and then like the girl in the beginning of the movie. Um, well, the girl from the beginning of the movie is the one from the beginning of Dr. No when he says Bond, yeah. James Bond. That's the same girl. Exactly. Money, pe- money Penny is like they, that's like the thing that they do. Like it's in every Bond movie. The, he, yeah, they, they just flirt. Well, it's so funny was the girl from the beginning of the movie, they were originally going to have like it be like the trope of every movie was going to have him be with her uh, to start off the movie and just be like, oh, sorry, honey, I got another mission. And she's like, oh, like I wish you'd stay longer. And then after this movie, like we, we don't we don't need to play that. again. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. I think it's there's a part of me that almost wishes it was in maybe one more like Goldfinger, like Bond's on a on a mission at that point. So yeah it's probably for the best that he's not involved like that he's not with her in that for that opening yeah but there's is a part of me that thinks it would just be very funny if every bond movie like every intro bond is just him in some other like romantic location with the same woman from the first bond movie 
and just every time just like just like okay well we're never gonna see you again for us in a movie <laughs> that's it for your screen time honey here's yeah here here's your ten thousand dollar check hit the door yeah. you get 10 minutes at the beginning and that's it and <laughs> don't act act as to be a major part of this <laughs> I know you haven't seen any Roger Moore's or Timothy Dalton's. Do you think Connery is deserver of the best bond? Cause I think a lot of people would say that, that he's the best bond because he's the one who really brings most of the characteristics that the, all the actors share well, to, it to is, the light. Like they all add their own twists yeah. to it, but he's the one who brings like the archetype of what this character needs to be in order to Well, work. yeah, there, there's also a sense of just like, yeah, he's the first one to come out here. He's the one who pretty much just like everyone's going to be compared to. I mean, like uh, the second you take this role, I think I kind of prefer Craig, but I might be because I prefer Craig's movies more. And I'm not sure where the line kind of goes. You know what? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe, you know, Tommy, we can start doing a monthly Bond film if you want. Um, on the podcast. oh god no <laughs> no Tommy I'll do a I'll do a I'll do a, a Roger Moore one with you for you in December that way <laughs> it's that way you you can get get some of that uh, excitement that that you love from uh, you know some of that humor the goofy over the top uh, humor yeah well um, I I think that like when people think of James Bond um, the first one that comes to mind for most people is probably going to be Sean Connery. I mean, this could be a situation of like you always love the Batman that you grew up with, you know, or mm-hmm. like our generation is Christian Bale, our generation um, above us, it's uh, what's called Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, this well, could you're be skipping situation. Val Kilmer very conveniently, Tommy. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm fucking, I'm fucking with you. Yeah. Relax. Yeah. But uh, so, regardless, yeah, this could be a similar situation right here. But I think that Connery at least lays a claim of just like, this guy's fucking cool. This guy's the fucking man. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think if you, if you showed, if you've never seen a Connery Bond movie, you, there's a very good chance that you've at least seen the clip of him lighting the cigarette going Bond, James Bond, right? Like you probably, like mm. it's just so iconic to the, to the, like it, for a movie franchises that's this old. And that part in its history is like a big part of its success too. Like, I think you can't envision that, right? Like, and this is obviously completely different because it's a million different characters, but think of the Marvel movies that are what, 15 years in basically of the MCU or whatever, something like that. Mm -hmm. 20, 30 years from now, they're still able to keep them going, still able to print the money with them. Is it going to be like, oh, well, it's obviously Rob, Robert Downey Jr. like he was the one who set the the flying like he was the the man like he set the thing or is it going to be whatever kid that hasn't even been born yet that's going to be the big reincarnation of Captain America Spider-Man whatever it is in 30 40 years well what what they're going to do eventually is uh, I have to imagine like the next 10 or 15 years Marvel's going to have to like you know just recast characters over and over again Um, Tommy what I think is going to happen is that there's going to be a bomb like like one of the Marvel movies is going to like not hit nine figures at the box office, and they're just gonna give. Hey, I know we killed you, but um, here's fifty million dollars to be in another Iron Man movie, and like I, it's gonna happen at some point. <laughs> you think they're just gonna go back to that? Well, I mean, I 
I don't know. I, I, there's so many people that like they have such a diehard fan base within that like it just prints money. I, I almost feel like Marvel's almost too big to fail. But regardless, so this is a different discussion right now. In terms of Bond, I mean, like they said the same thing about the Roman Empire, Tommy. They did, yeah. I, I guess all empires do fall. So, but I don't know. Would you say that Connery is your favorite? I mean, like, I, I mean, I think Bra, like I, and it's the one I grew up with was Brosnan, right? Like mm-hmm. Goldeneye. Like I was six or seven or whenever. Not even, but just like he was the one when you were a kid, and you just Goldeneye the video game is probably more prevalent when I was a kid than Goldeneye the movie because I was like four, or no, I was. Yeah. I was two when Goldeneye came out. So yeah, definitely didn't see that in theaters. Yeah, I did see I, Die I, Another Day in theaters. I remember seeing that in theaters. I mean, I, I played Goldeneye the game like all the fucking time when I was a kid and I didn't see the movie until like quarantine. <laughs> Brosnan just like if you had to like if you had never heard of James Bond before, but you just had to mentally picture what this British secret agent suave man looks like. It's probably Pierce Brosnan. Like, I don't think they could have cast a better look like a better version of what that guy should look like. Like actually when they were cat recasting Roger Moore, they wanted Brosnan, but he was on a sick or on a soap opera and couldn't get out of his contract. Not a soap opera. I don't know. He was on a show. Couldn't get out of the contract. So they ended up going with Timothy Dalton. And then when the Dalton ones kind of fluttered, because they've made them much more serious, like eighties action movies and took away from like the bondness of them. Uh, there was a huge gap. I think it was like 88 was like the last one. And then Goldeneye was 95. Like that was the biggest like hiatus between them. Maybe. Yeah, I think that was the biggest hiatus between the two uh, two Bond movies. Because, yeah, Dawn was only like two years after uh, Roger Moore's last movie. <laughs> um, Living Daylights was 87. It was yeah. 87 to... 87 to 95 like that's a huge gap when you think about it it was uh 89 because like he did Dalton oh he did it was 89 it was 89 yeah okay. that's Dalton still did license to kill but that's still a big gap yeah what what was specter specter was 2016 but and that was four it was supposed to be four it was ended up being five years but it was supposed to be four years like specter was supposed to come out or um no time to die was supposed to come out in 2020 yeah yeah well yeah specter was like 2015 um so it would have been like about five years, which would have been an okay gap. I mean, like even the gap between uh, Dalton, I mean, or Brosnan and Craig was only four years. Yeah, no, that was like because Die Another Day was oh two, and I'm almost positive that Casino Royale was oh seven. Okay, so that was four years too. Yeah, yeah but um, also I get like just think about the way that film production has changed compared comparatively from the the Dalton to the Brosnan versus like casino royale to no time to die like that it no time to die is the biggest bond movie there there ever has been like that movie is massive mm-hmm. it's like almost three hours long which a little too long in my opinion for a bond movie yeah that one kind of dragged but you know i think craig overall has been good but i mean like, there's no bond actor that doesn't have a spy track record some of their movies are good some of their movies are just yeah, it's all the, it's all the, it's all the script quality and like if you i listen to podcasts with like a lot of diehard bond fans they're mm-hmm. like the further they stray away from the the ian fleming books the worse they tend to get and then with like the later bond ones like because then they did quantum of solace which is just like that's easily Craig's worst one, but I would say the other four are either two of the two of the top five Bond movies ever made, or they're 
they're like really good movies and i would even say no time to die is probably top 10 in my opinion okay man so yeah i, I definitely said quantum solace was forgettable i mean <laughs> oh yeah I, I couldn't tell you what happened to quantum solace but uh oh so just i know we shouted him out earlier but um robert shaw just awesome great bond villain yeah he he, he was like really just captivated this movie and he really took it to another level where the movies kind of lose my interest, and then right when he got there, back there in the train scene, it just picked back up for me, and then it brought me back in. That in- he has that intensity that will capture you for sure. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. Tommy Wood from Russia with love work as a Muppet adaptation. I feel like James Bond as a whole, yes, could, but this movie isn't goofy enough to really match uh, the intensity of the Muppets. You know, it would need to be a little more zany. I feel like the Roger if, Moore ones would, there'd probably be some crossover there. Yeah, they'd probably be perfect for a Muppet adaptation, but this one's a little too, like, not campy enough. You yeah, know? The, it, it doesn't have the camp in it yet. Gold, Goldfinger really, like, starts to bring the camp in. Like, that's when they lean on it. Like, it's a little bit in Dr. No, but, like, they're still playing them pretty straight from the books. And then then they realize, hey, let's make it campy. And mm. that's definitely the winning success for James Bond. Yeah, mm. I would if I'm picking a Bond movie to adapt into a Muppet adaptation, it's definitely not this one. Current would be James Bond, obviously. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, James Bond, James Bond. <laughs> James Bond. James Bond. Yeah, you know, a- after uh, Cody doing his Kermit impression, we might just have to retire ours because <laughs> it's like not even close. Yeah, exactly. Our guest last week had a A plus fucking Kermit impersonation. It was so good. I was like, oh, they could actually hire you to do the voice because it was that. It was that good. <laughs> that, that's that fucking good. All right, Tommy. I'm very curious to hear what your score is. Uh, review time. So, I mean, I know I spent a lot of this pod um, just sharing the movie. Um, I mean, for I just think that with a lot of older movies, um, the direction really wasn't there. It was just not in a visually interesting way. Um, this movie, like we talked about a lot over the course of this pod, visually just wasn't interesting in terms of set design and stuff like that. That being said, Connery's performance was great. Robert Shaw's performance was great. So there was some stuff that made me a little bit captivated. So I'm going to go 2.5 out of 5. I didn't hate this movie completely, but... I wasn't the biggest fan. I felt like it could have been better and could have been more engaging for me and didn't really capture my attention all the time. So I, one, Tommy, I love your grading curve because I'm just like morbidly curious, like what a one out of five looks like from you, because everything you said leading up to this moment meant this movie was like a one out of five. All right, all right, all right. Let me change it. I was being nice. Two out of five. Again, everything you said leading up to this was a one out of five, and then you're just like a two and a half out of five. I was being nice too. No, it was a two and a half out of five. You commit to what you said, Tommy. I commit to no, it's two and a five, two point five out of five. Don't no, no, you lost. You lost. You can rewind and hear him. If I didn't say anything, you would have you would have kept it. Pull back the tape. (laughs) This is I think this is an excellent building block from the bond for the bond movies in general. Um, I think they really combine Dr. No and From Russia with Love and really find the winning formula in Goldfinger, which is why it's still so revered and considered the best Bond movie, if not the top three best Bond movies. I'm going to give this a three out of five. I really liked it. If you're really interested in learning more about the like where James Bond comes from, 
you're going to get a really intriguing story like good villains like bond barely overcomes them in one this early and they outmaneuver him too and i always like in these kind of spy movies when the villains are actually intelligent and have like have like clear direction in their motives like their motives aren't are only like oh we're just like an evil group so like that's what we do but they're like very smart with it it's three to five first james bond of many for the podcast tommy you're yeah, laughing you're laughing but but uh this might just turn into james bond month this, this is this is just the payback for making you do a horror month <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> all uh, right well we'll so, see <laughs> so tommy any final thoughts uh, well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, you can listen to us. Um, you know, leave us five star reviews on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on social media at Scenic Pod. That's on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you know, we have a great month coming up. Uh, we're going to be covering what the Mighty Ducks next, or Mighty, is it gonna Ducks. Be another... Mighty Ducks is next. I mean, All don't right. tempt me with a good time, Tommy. I will, I will throw the spy who loved me right down your throat if you really want me to. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> please, please save me. So uh, I'm going to a five final score for this. No, movie. shut up. Two, Tommy <laughs> had two point five. I had three. <laughs> Tommy has no scale for movies he doesn't like. He just calls them all two point five out of five. So ah, uh, I give a movie one point five recently. <laughs> what movie did you give one point five? Some Chucky movie I watched last month on Letterbox. <laughs> so I guess we won't be covering it on the pod. No, no. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you again next week.